Well, I wonder for you as, you, as Kurt asked that question earlier, that question of why. Have you asked the Lord that question of why? And what was that question for you? What did it look like? What's, what's the circumstance in your life where you're going, God, I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why you've allowed this. I don't know what's happening here or what's going on over there. All of us have those moments in our lives where we're asking the Lord questions. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at a little book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. And it starts with him asking many questions that I think we have today. And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn there. Um, if you're not sure where Habakkuk is, there's a table of contents in the front of your Bible. Check it out. It'll show you where Habakkuk is and you can flip over there. It's not one we hear a whole lot about. But Habakkuk was a prophet. And in the Old Testament, when, what the prophets did was God would speak to a prophet and the prophet would speak to the people on behalf of the Lord. Because what happened in the Old Testament frequently was there was a pattern that was exhibited. God gave the law. People were, going, were supposed to follow the law, were supposed to follow the Lord. And they would follow him for a while. And then they'd begin to follow their own desires. And they'd walk away from the Lord and begin to rebel against him. And so as they did that, as they rebelled against the Lord, then um, the Lord would come and judge them, bring consequences on them for their rebellion. And then people would repent, follow the Lord again. And then the cycle starts all over again, right? And it happens over and over again. They follow the Lord, they turn from the Lord. The Lord brings about consequences and judgment. The people repent, they come back to the Lord, and then it begins again and again. And the Lord used prophets to be able to speak into those moments. Uh, and there were typically, there were three topics the prophets would speak about. One was repentance. Hey, you are rebelling against the Lord. Repent, turn, turn away from what you're following because it's not going to lead you to the Lord. It's going to lead you away from him. The second one that they would talk about would be judgment. People had stopped. They wouldn't listen to the call to turn. So they would bring, say, judgment that God is going to judge you, judge the people in this way, this way, and this way, because you've refused to turn back to the Lord. And the third area they speak into is hope. In the midst of that judgment, the Lord is going to bring hope and continue in his promise to fulfill it among the people. So these prophets would bring these messages. And Habakkuk is a little different because most of the time these prophets would write and they would be writing to the people what the Lord had told them to write to the people. Habakkuk's like a, behind a backstage pass to Habakkuk's conversation with the Lord. It's not Habakkuk writing to the people on behalf of the Lord. It's Habakkuk in his space asking the Lord questions and having a dialogue with him and saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I need you to answer some questions. So this is a behind-the-scenes look for us at what's going on with Habakkuk and the Lord. And so if you've got your words, we're going to jump in. Um, it'll give us some more context as we go along, but let's, it, it jumps into the deep end, so we're going to just take off and start running. Verse 1, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. 
Anybody feel like that passage is relevant today? You, you see what he's saying in that moment. He's, how long will I call to you, Lord, and you're, you're not responding to me? Anybody felt like your prayers have hit a wall at times? You pray and you pray and you pray and there's just, just nothing. Or I cry out to you violence that you do not save. And you look around and see what's happening, whether it's globally or nationally or even individually what's happening in our lives and beginning to ask the questions, God, where are you? What are you doing? I think most of us can relate to that and can connect with that reality of going, I got questions. I got questions that don't seem to have good answers at the moment. And Habakkuk brings those to the Lord, lays them before him, Now, one thing we need to understand about the context of this passage, this isn't just a global Habakkuk sees injustice all around him everywhere he looks, although we can make application there. This is specifically Habakkuk speaking about injustice among God's people, about God's people rebelling against the Lord. We see more clarity in Ezekiel chapter 24 about this specific situation where Ezekiel talks about the people rebelling against the Lord and then the Lord's going to bring about judgment and that judgment is the same judgment that Habakkuk's going to talk about a little bit later. And Habakkuk will talk about in a minute about where the judgment's going to come from to God's people. So we get clarity that Habakkuk isn't just looking out there. Habakkuk is looking in at God's people and saying, there is injustice among God's people. I know nobody's ever seen injustice among the church. Christians, right? We're always just to one another, said with a sarcastic tone, right? Reality is we're broken people. The church at large, the big C church. Have you ever seen anybody use God's name for their own glory and their own purposes? And you ever wonder, Lord, how long are you going to wait until you bring back to clarity so people stop abusing your name? And you clean out your own people so that you, the vision of you and your church is clean. You ever wonder those questions? Well, Habakkuk is wondering that among God's people in this day. He's seeing the injustice and the justice comes out perverted. And he just lays these questions down. And the Lord does what the Lord tends to do frequently. He responds to Habakkuk and gives him a very clear answer. So let's look at how the Lord responds to him in verse 5. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I'm doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty... They whose strength is their God. 
you catch how the Lord responded to Habakkuk right here? He, he said, hey, Habakkuk, trust me, I have not missed any one of those injustices. I see every one. In fact, I see the ones that you can't possibly see. And I'm going to deal with them. But I'm going to do it in a way that you would never imagine or you would never expect or you would never think I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it by using the Chaldeans, which the Chaldeans are the same as the Babylonians in that day. For you and me, we hear that and we go, okay, great, you're going to use the Chaldeans. What does that mean? Well, then he goes on to give a description of the Chaldeans. These are brutal people. The imagery that's given and the picture that they, all of them come for violence and they collect captives like sand. They're not afraid of anything. They come and their God is their strength. Here's the picture of what you can see about them. You can learn, if you want more about them and specifically you can go to Isaiah 39 or Jeremiah 27 or Ezekiel 24 that I mentioned a minute ago. All those passages will give you more clarity on who they are and how God's going to use them. But here's the best way I know how to explain it, is if we said, God, we want you to do a work among your people, believers, not just this church, believers across the world, we want you to clean out your church because there's injustice. And his response would be, oh, don't worry, I've seen every one of them, and I'm going to use a terrorist organization to judge my people. That's what that would have felt like to Habakkuk in that moment. Wait a minute, what? You're going to allow who to do what? You're using these people for your purposes? See, here's what happens. Some of us have questions that we've set before the Lord and felt like we've hit walls with our prayer. At other times, we've had questions and we've prayed and prayed and prayed and felt like the Lord finally answered, but the answer was not anything like what we expected. That's what he's doing right here. The Lord's saying, I'm going to answer you, but it's not going to look like what you expect me to answer you. It's going to look very, very different. Think of the parent whose child is sick and praying for the Lord. God, you move and save our child. And the Lord's response is, I'm going to save your child, but not in the way you think. I'm going to bring them home with me. Right, you've been in that place before, not that exact question, maybe or maybe so, but in that place where you said, God, I don't know what you're going to do, I need you to move, and then he answers differently than you expect. Imagine the tension Habakkuk would be feeling in this moment. Let's look at how he responds and how he responds to the Lord moving this way. Verse 12, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? You see the tension here that Habakkuk is dealing with? Look at how he responds first. Are you not from everlasting? Are you not from the beginning? Are you not the one who created all these things? And look how he draws out the character of God. In the midst of uncertainty, he begins to draw on the character of who he knows God is. O oh Lord, 
He says, you are Lord. Okay, I'm, I'm going to affirm that you are Lord. My God. You're not just Lord of everything. You are my God. My Holy One. He says, we will not die. He's speaking collectively there that we will not die. He's talking about God's people as a whole. Not just him or a few other individuals. He's saying God is going to keep his covenant to his people. He says, you, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. So he calls him Lord, but then brings out the question of you have appointed them to judge. Okay, I'm, I'm, you here, you're Lord. You've done this. You've appointed them to judge. You rock the one that's stable, the one that doesn't change, the one that's been the same from everlasting to everlasting, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Okay, I know this about your character. You do not look on evil with favor. But look at the tension. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why have you made men or why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? See, he's got this tension. What I know to be true about the character of God is not matching up with what I'm experiencing in the circumstances around me. So how do I put these two together? How do I bring that tension together and answer this? The character of God, stable, unchanging, the same. What I'm experiencing doesn't seem to match, so what do I do with that? How do I answer that? See, the reality is Habakkuk is going back to reaffirm the character of God and how often in my life have I needed to go back to the word of God and say, I'm going to continue to put in my mind what I know to be true about who you are, O oh Lord, because what I'm experiencing feels different. But I know that I'm broken and in my experience is not going to be an all-knowing experience. My emotions, my thoughts, all of those are broken by my sin. So I need to reaffirm who you are so I cling to you and not to what I see in front of me. See, Habakkuk goes on to give a very vivid imagery of the Chaldeans being like fishermen gathering up all the people in a net and then destroying them. And he begins to ask the end of 17, will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? He's asking the Lord, how long are you going to let this happen? And then verse 1 of chapter 2 is huge. It says this, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. See what he just did? He just said, hey, I'm going to stand right here. God, I had questions you answered me, and that answer gave me a whole lot more questions. And so I'm going to stay right here in this spot, ready for you. You come speak. Answer me. I'm here. And in fact, what did he say? He said that, um, that I will keep watch, see what he will speak to me, and how I may reply when I'm reproved. See, he expects the Lord to push back on him, and he's already working up his reply in his mind. Right? I know you haven't answered me yet, but i am already got a good reply. You been there? Lord, I, I know that whatever answer you give me is not quite going to be enough. So I'm working up my reply. But I know you're going to come and reprove me or push back. He said, I'm stationed right here. As Kurt and I talked about this passage this week, he, his image in his mind is of a man standing on the edge of a cliff, just waiting right there. Just one more step. If I took one more step, I, I'm undone. So God, I'm at the very end of my rope. I got nothing left. Here I am waiting for you. You come speak to me. In an almost defiant type tone. 
You've been there? I know most of us, realistically all of us, have been in a place of asking. God, what are you doing? Where are you going? What's happening? And I'm just going to station myself here until you answer because i got nothing left. Well, the Lord does answer. He responds to Habakkuk again in verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. The Lord's response here is not necessarily a warm and fuzzy one. He says, Habakkuk, first off, write all these things down. Put them down. Save them for the people so that if someone will read it, they know that it's time to run because I am going to bring about the judgment I promised to bring about. That seems hard. And then he gets to verse 4. He says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Wait a minute, did we move over into the New Testament? Living by faith? Right? Faith, the Lord has brought out faith all throughout the Old Testament. It's not simply about keeping the law. Abram, he trusted God and it was credited to him as righteousness in Genesis. All throughout, faith is a part of the Old Testament. Looking forward in faith and trusting the Lord. Wait a minute, you want me to have faith when I can't see and understand? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. That's what I'm telling you. Because look at how he he phrased verse 4. Behold is for the proud one. His soul is not right within him. You know how Habakkuk would be proud or how we would be proud in that moment of, God, you deserve, I mean, I deserve an answer from you. Because I'm, I'm your child. I've trusted you. So you ought to give me an answer that I can understand and that makes sense. And if you don't, then you must not be the God I thought you were. How does that put us into arrogance? What that is saying is that I belong in the same seat of understanding that God does and I have the capacity to understand things that only he can. Right? That's elevating myself to being on the same plane with the Lord that somehow I can fully comprehend him. Here's the reality for us. If I could fully comprehend the mind and working of God, he's not as big as I thought he was. He would be way too small because my brain is small and weak and broken. If I can fully comprehend exactly what he's doing all the time and can see the full picture and always know it, one, that that means that he is smaller than I expected and need him to be. And two, that puts me in an elevated position where I can be walking in pride, saying, you owe me an explanation. If he truly is God, he doesn't owe us an explanation. Because what he says, but the righteous will live by his faith. Why? Why do we live by faith? Three different places in the New Testament quote this verse. They use this verse to be able to set the stage for the foundation of faith. See, what we have the ability to see today that Habakkuk wasn't able to fully comprehend and understand in that moment was we get to look at the cross of Jesus Christ. We get to see, because people ask me sometimes, well, what, you want us just to have blind faith? 
No, I don't want you to have blind faith. I want you to have faith in the God who sent his only son to die for you and who's been faithful from everlasting to everlasting and over and over and over and over again. He's proven himself faithful. That's not blind faith. That's trusting in the one who said, I care enough about you to send my son to pay a penalty that you owe. See, Habakkuk's first question was about justice. I see injustice. Let's ask the big question about injustice. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, you know what justice would look like? Justice would look like the requirement of payment of our own lives and separation for all of eternity from God. That would be justice. But where God's justice and his mercy come together and where we see a beautiful picture of who God is in his nature, he said, even though what justice would be would be for you to be separated from me forever, I have sent my son to pay for you to carry the wrath of justice that ought to be on your head so you can be with me for all of eternity. That is the mixture of his justice and mercy together. He says, I love you so much that I will send my son to die for you so that you can be in relationship with me that ought to be enough to know that we can trust him by faith in every single circumstance we face. Now again, it's not a happy-go-lucky, let me live by faith. Yay, this is easy. It's incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. See, that foundation is built in Romans 1, 16 and 17 when, when uh, Paul is setting up the stage for what faith is all about and, and what trusting in Christ looks like. He's going to talk about the brokenness of humanity and talk about the foundation of faith being in Christ. In Galatians 3, 10 to 14, Paul's going to talk about how we're not saved by keeping the law. Nobody ever kept the law. Nobody's ever been good enough to keep the law of God, but the righteous will live by faith in the Son of God. We will live by faith in Christ. For Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 36 and following all the way through chapter 11, I'll read a few verses to you. This is when the people of God were persecuted, were being pushed on from every single side, enduring things we couldn't even imagine. And look how they are called to respond. For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. Look, he's talking about Old Testament people here because he's gonna go on to talk about Old Testament people by faith and the way they trusted the Lord. In verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. To walk by faith, one of the hardest things we can do. Because it's not simply trusting God when, we, when things are going the way we want them to. It's not even simply trusting God when things aren't going the way we want them to, but we can understand a little bit of what he's doing. It's in trusting God when everything that we see around us looks completely different than what we could imagine or expect God to do. That's where faith comes into play. 
because we know that we serve a God whose character is stable and secure, that he loves us, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It is not out of a desire to create more brokenness. It is out of a desire to heal the brokenness that God is working his great plan from beginning to end. And we get to be a part of it and we get to be a part of trusting him in the midst of it. It's the question for us this morning. We're going to walk by faith. I don't know what's, what you're facing. I don't know what's in front of you today. I don't know what you are enduring. I don't know the situation you find yourself in, but you've got a choice to be able to say, am I going to walk by faith even when I can't see? That just may mean I need to get away for a few days and just be angry because I'm angry and lay it at the feet of the Lord. Or I can walk by what I see and feel and experience in the momentary circumstances. See, the big picture is God is showing us what he's doing overall. He's shown himself faithful. In individual circumstances, we can pluck ourselves out of that and feel like God is not who he says he is. So we can choose to look at the whole picture. What are you going to do with your faith? Are you going to walk by it? Are you going to trust him in it? We're going to go by what we see and feel in the immediacy of a circumstance. About a year ago, there was a man that walked into a church to be part of a Bible study. And those individuals welcomed him in, brought him in, and were glad to see him there. And in the midst of that, he turned on them. And nine people lost their lives because of the color of their skin. We talk about injustice. Talk about being able to cry out, why in the world I see injustice? We can see it in many places in our society now, in many different moments. But in the court proceedings, of that individual, the families of those who lost loved ones had opportunities to speak. The things they had to say carry weight in walking by faith when the circumstances don't make sense. Here's one of the daughters. I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never ever hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. Another family member, I acknowledge that I am very angry. It's a right to acknowledge where we are. But one thing she always enjoined in our family is she taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hating, so we have to forgive. I pray God on your soul. Another family member, I forgive you. My family forgives you. We would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Do that and you'll be better off than you are right now. Did you catch that? Even that, especially that last one. See, most of us would say, what I've experienced would tell me, um, I don't want to give him opportunity to repent and trust the Lord. I want him to experience the full wrath of God. 
But what they said in that moment was, I believe the character and nature of God is so worthy to be trusted that when someone has taken something from me that is so valuable that I would even care to tell him about repenting and trusting the Lord because that is so much better than anything else. That's walking by faith, not by what the immediacy of the circumstance would lead us to. So we're going to be a people who walk by faith, regardless of what's in front of us. We're going to be a people that turn from the Lord because we haven't gotten the answers we think we deserve. You've got to wrestle with that this morning. Every one of us has to wrestle with that truth. It's not easy. It's incredibly difficult. Yet the reality is we can go page by page by page. I could bring person up here, person after person after person after person who could share with you the faithfulness of God through circumstances nobody could imagine. It's not a blind faith. It's the faith of a God that's been from everlasting to everlasting, who is our rock, who is our holy one, who is constant, consistent, stable, and faithful.